I'm Angela Ledgerwood and this is Lit Up, a podcast about books, writers, life, and love, and all things literary. Hello everyone. I hope you had a fabulous holiday weekend. Because we had a bit of a break and holiday as well, we're going to republish one of our favorite episodes, and that's the one with Mary Louise Parker talking about her book, Dear Mr. You. From next week on, we'll have all new episodes. September 13th, we'll have the incredible Anne Patchett. The following week, we'll have a New York Times columnist, Jessica Bennett, talking about her new book, Feminist Fight Club. And then we have so many great authors coming up. Um, a few big hints, we have Trevor Noah coming up, um, Emma Donahue, and a few I know I talked about last week. But hope you had a great break. Enjoy this episode if you haven't heard it before, and we'll see you back with a new one next week. My guest today is Mary Louise Parker. She is a Tony, Emmy, Obie, and Golden Globe winning actress. Her writing has appeared in Esquire, The Riveter, Bust, and Bullet. And we are here to talk about her first book, Dear Mr. You. It is truly one of the most fabulous books I've read the last year and this new year. And I might have, I just told Mary that I had to keep it together, you know, when I was reading it on the subway, the tears would fall and not even sadness, just being kind of connected to like a human thing. So I'll keep it together if I can, but thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for that lovely introduction. Uh, I think to launch, yeah, my pleasure. And I think to launch in, if you could read the very first entry to the book. Absolutely. I I don't think I've read it aloud before except for the uh, book on tape. Oh, amazing. (laughs) Dear Mr. You, manly creature who smells good even when you don't, you wake up too slowly with fuzzy vertical hair and a slightly lost look on your face as though you are seven or 75. To you, because you can notice a woman with a healthy chunk of years or pounds on her and let out a wolf whistle under your breath and mean it. Because you thought either rug would be fine, really it would. To you, who can fix my screen door, my attitude, and open most jars. To you, who codifies, slams a puck, builds a decent cabinet or the perfect sandwich. To you, who gave a 20 to the kids selling Hershey bars and waited three hours for me at baggage claim in your flannel shirt. You, sir, you took my order, my pulse, my bullshit. To you, boy grown up, the gentleman, soldier, professor, or caveman. To you and to that guy at the concession stand. Thank you for lying in the hood of that car and watching the stars plummet. Thank you for the tour of the elevator cage, the sound booth, the alley. Thank you for the kaleidoscope, the get well tequila, the painting, the truth. Thank you for the brown diamonds and blue points. To you, who carried me across the parking lot to the ER and up the stairs, to you who shows up every so often only to confuse and torment, and you who stays in orbit to my left and steady, you stood up for me, I won't forget that. To the one who can't figure it out and never will, and to the one who lost the remote, the dog, or your way altogether. To you who I've tried to understand so necessary and violent, You who transported, comforted, and devastated, sometimes all at once. I still have what you said was mine. I kept that, along with the memories. Despite memories being a word I loathe for both its icky tone and wistful graveyard implications, but there it is, and here I am recounting them. Some I may get wrong, and others I'd love to expel forever, but thank you for them, nonetheless. And this, this is for you, Cerberus sweet beast with your many faces, and you, Father Bob, to the dear dancer because he saw me over there, to the painter and the poet, to NASA and to that cab driver, what can I say but that I was wrong and I'm sorry, to sweet blue and kind Abe, to firefighters all, especially that one, to uncle and the newspaper boy and the goats, to little owl, what an honor to watch your first flight, to Rafiki Yangu, and to my mentor and my doctor, to the ones I never met and the ones I often wish I hadn't. Most of all, to you, Daddy. That's you and me, the far-off gaze. The poems are you, as are the good deeds and the jars of candy I hide everywhere. 
You are what makes me, you are what makes me indomitable and how I know to keep walking when I feel crippled in every conceivable way. Thank you to the actual heavens and after that, and you others who make up my tremendous etc. this is to you. So this is how the book starts and we just, we're launched right in. And I'm wondering, I mean, I felt when I read it, you know, I've been in New York and single and, you know, the way we talk about men sometimes can get really, <laughs> I mean, depressing, you know, and you, with your girlfriends, you're like, it happened again. How could it possibly, like, how are we now living in these, inside these cliches, you know, mm -hmm. in our lives? And then, and then I read your book and I, it was kind of the antidote to all of that. It was like, they are oh, good so and they are sweet. <laughs> they are. And I wondered, I mean, it is all about men, but you dedicated it to your mom. Right. Can you talk Thank a you little? Thank you for noticing that. Yeah, well, I'd love to talk further kind of in a minute, but I felt more connected to, to my mom when reading this. Oh, really? Than, than even my dad. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, so much of me is directly informed by my father. I am so much his daughter, and, and I... I often say that I feel like a lot of the things that people don't like about me are my dad and the things that people really like about me are my dad. And he, he was so full of extremes, you know, and uh, such a passionate man and such, such an honorable, unique, you know, he was my hero and always will be. But... I think for him, he would have loved that dedication to my mother more than anyone. And he would have said, you know, that she made him what he was. He was a man who could really give a woman credit. He was a man who would have called himself a feminist, even though he grew up, you know, with coal miners and was an army military man. He was just, he was such a contradiction in every possible way. He was so broad-minded and and such a lover of women and so appreciated women and could not could not tolerate men who treated women badly or mm -hmm. who cheated on women he he couldn't he couldn't stand that and and yet you know he was a, a great flirt and and appreciated women um but i think he would have said that my mother made him what he was you know yeah. my, my mother was this sort of quiet, elegant presence who like, doesn't want to take credit for anything or ask for anything, I think he would have said that it was her yeah. who sort of made him what made he him. was. Yeah. One of the bits in the book I love so much, you just made me think of it, is when you were desperate to go on the European holiday with your friends, you know, with your girlfriend, and your dad, you know, decided that you were so disappointed you couldn't yeah. go that he... You know, you said sold something like you couldn't maybe afford it, but you went on this trip. And that moment, could you talk about that moment when you got up early in Amsterdam to go? Oh, yeah. 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 It just it was just like it, I remember the set of his face. We, we were on this trip that he could not afford at all. He could not afford most of the things that he did. And, and there were a lot of years when we just we didn't have a lot. Um, but he would always try to find or mortgage or borrow or whatever just so we could have what, what he thought we wanted and deserved you know and we were on this boat um in Amsterdam just he and I we got up early and he wanted to go to the diamond factory because he thought that was really cool and he wanted to get my mother a ring and surprise her and he could not afford a ring he could not afford we could not afford to be in Amsterdam <laughs> and uh it it was just I remember his face you know when I was sitting on that boat looking at him and, and I think there's something in that like watching your parents struggle and seeing them try so hard to make things magical for you and make things work for you and make you happy and comfortable and, and make the person that they love happy despite failing so often which he also did uh, in the end he was a man who wanted the people he loved to be happy above him he could put other people first which is to me like that's the rarest quality and that's what makes an exceptional father and an exceptional parent is 
being able to put them first and an exceptional husband. Um, but despite, as I said, you know, All of that. What, what was hard about him, which that, you know, there was plenty of that also. On the moment where then, like, you're there and you know that you can't, you know, that you can't really afford the ring. And then he says, this is just, I, I this know. is, and I mean, the tears were falling. And then he says, you know, you pick one out for you and your sister. And I think what touched me most was that this, that moment you're talking about of seeing your parent doing all these things, but then being the age or having the understanding you know what's happening. And so you, you picked yeah. the smallest one, you know, hoping it was the le the least expensive. Yeah. So it was kind of that, that, I think that was the moment that got me. It's like your understanding of how generous he's been. Yeah, and I don't know if that understanding was from what, I, I, I think it was informed so much by watching him trying to provide for us so desperately and trying to write things when they were wrong, even when he ruined them himself maybe uh or it was or if it was that innate in me and and it's something that I got from him my my two children are so different and my daughter picks up things sometimes that no one else in the room gets just by being completely reasonable uh and by observing and my son can pick up someone's feelings in the next room and I think I'm like that and my father was like that uh that he, I, I knew what he was feeling. I know what he, what he was trying to do. What I, we knew at the end of the day how much he cared. So even if he was hard or, or uh, you know, he was a veteran, and that, that's a hard thing to grow up with, and that's a hard thing to see, a uh, veteran of three wars, uh, and a lot of disappointment in his life. Um, but my brother and I, uh, talked about the fact that we just we always knew despite everything that he put us first and he he wanted to be the great father he wanted us to have he didn't even want to be the great father he didn't even want that he wanted us to have everything he wanted us to feel good about ourselves you know he, he came to every single um scrimmage my brother had when he played football he came and my brother never got off the bench you know and, and the other <laughs> but he probably the still team, did such yeah, a good yeah, job they thought he, he worked for the football team they were like who's that guy who's always here like in the fog or the snow or the rain and he didn't miss anything and if I did a play he was always there and and I'm like that with my kids mm. um and when yeah when when did the plays start because you talk about um, having a stutter when you mm -hmm. were young. Yeah. And, and, and then there is a part in the book that I found so interesting when you went, you go to, you graduate early from mm -hmm. school because you like peace out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like this isn't, I'm not really ever going to be able to navigate this one. This yeah. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Not, but that, happen. but you, you were able to say you wanted to be an actress. And that yeah. felt like a really big moment for you. What was that about? Why couldn't you say it before or? I didn't talk very much, period. And I didn't, um, I was really, really shy, really awkward. Uh, and I still am in many situations, really, really uh, overly sensitive in a way that doesn't behoove me all the, all the time, you know, and uh, just awkward, you know? Um, and it, it, there's always just this sense, and I still feel that it's like something is not being understood. Like something I'm trying to convey is not being properly understood. Like there's some, I'm using some other language, or I'm coming in on another frequency or something. I just was very hyper aware of that, of people looking at me a little askance. And not getting Because you said that your face. Like confused. Yeah, was always yeah, like, like giving Or the saying wrong like, signal. what's wrong when there was nothing wrong, or. You know, so you'd look at me the wrong way and I would start to cry. Or it just, it's just, you know, I just came out like that or something. I don't know. Or something happened. Who knows? Um, but it, it's just, I think I always knew I, you could always put me on a stage, whatever that was. And I remember the first time that happened. It was a tap dancing thing. And it was just easy. And everyone was like, oh, is she going to be okay? It's just like... <laughs> That was fine, 
and you know my children like I see that in them especially my son he's like that's he's it's easier for him to do that than it is for him to navigate like Mm -hmm. a friendship in some ways um and I'm like that too it's just a way of speaking. It was that's the way that I could talk to other people, and I feel sometimes if I'm on stage and it's going well, and I feel very uh, things feel sort of aligned, then it feels like I am being understood. It doesn't. I and it am doesn't have to be through yeah. Mary Louise. It can yeah. be through the character. Yeah, and, and I fe- it feels clear. Like I feel clear, and I feel like I am talking. Yeah, in a way that I don't always in life. Well, that leads me to one of my other favorite ones, um, the movement teacher. I think, oh my goodness, I just, what struck me so much about this um, was this idea that when someone doesn't like you right off, yeah. or maybe ever, there might be something to learn from that yeah. instead of saying they're an idiot. Right, you know? right. Can you like explain? talk yeah. a little bit about just what it was like to be in that class like the, what what he, what did he say on that um review you know the end of when semester was that arts probation yes yeah. he was really just didn't did not take a liking to me and as i try to articulate in that piece uh it, that's also a lesson that i have to relearn you know i'm 51 years old like every day of my life i you know i wasn't having this week was kind of a low week for me and I noticed that I was getting really like I felt like my fuse was getting shorter and shorter and I told myself yesterday just for today just assume that you are the problem in every like interaction that you have if if something goes south just assume that you are the problem and then think about it later you know so that I don't because sometimes instead of it being everyone else yeah it's like well this person is rude or this person uh, this, so what? You know, and it, it's 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 hard not to just assume that you know to just discount someone when you just suddenly want to start. You become a, your own defense attorney and you start making a case against the other person. You know, as to all the reasons why you shouldn't even take them seriously. You know, because they don't like you, as opposed to thinking. Well, I, this man, this teacher, I learned so much from him, and he was the person at school that really, one of the people, there was more than one who didn't really, uh, didn't get me. You know, I wasn't uh, neutral. I wasn't, I wasn't the picture of a good student, even though I was trying really hard. Um, and there was something that seemed inherently, you know, contra- contrarian about me and rebellious, which is true, even when I wasn't trying to be, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to look at that and I had to think, I had to stop and go, well, it, it, it is something, there is a residue of that that's coming out, uh, whether or not I think so. And anyway, it doesn't matter. That's what he's getting. So I have to find a new way to talk to him. I have to find a new way to talk to him. He's my teacher. And it was because this friend of mine basically was a very good friend in a moment when I could hear him. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, moaning about that I'd been put on arts probation, that he'd written this scathing thing about how I was like, you know, my lack of physical energy was alarming and my, um, I asked inappropriate questions and I used my sexuality was offensive (laughs) and all all these things that he hated about me. And uh, my friend was like, what are you going to do about that? He wasn't like, yeah, he's a jerk, you Mm -hmm. know. It was like, what are you going to do? And it was just one of those moments when you can hear it was just irrefutable. It was just clearly true. There was I had no comeback. Even though I've ashamed yeah, and yeah, I felt yeah. embarrassed, you know, when your friend doesn't say like, "Yeah, man, like don't listen to him." It was like, you know, he's the teacher. If you want to change that, that's up to you, and you can. But you have to. It's not about like pace, placing blame and you know being a victim. It's about going, okay, well, what can I do? And I did. And he let me, this movement teacher, let me back in and let me present him with a different iteration of myself and a different like version of myself that he could hear. And he, he let me try. And it's massively informing for me that it's also about apologizing. You know, it's the same thing. It's, there's so much power in that. And we feel, sometimes you feel like 
weak in that moment. But it's really, there's nothing uh, but empowering about it, about apologizing or being accountable. Well, so we kind of want, yeah, wanting, I feel so often in life, like we don't want to change, right? We're like, we think we're right. And actually, I mean, I'm just thinking of kind of back in the school situation or even in a work or even in relationship. It's like, well, why aren't we here? Like, I mean, not that why we're here, but what else is there than evolving in some way or changing? And yet we like resist it all along the way. Like, you're wrong. That's bullshit. Well, maybe my favorite quote, maybe of all time, Springsteen says, uh, I I attribute it to him. Mm -hmm. I think he's said it is nobody wins unless everybody wins and I do believe that especially in a relationship uh, is you kind of have to find a way to fight and be on the same side and I've seen my daughter with her best friend one of the things I like best about the relationship is the way that they fight it's very open and they move through it and I hear different ones at different times mm. apologizing you know, there's no pattern that I feel like, oh, this person, this is it. Right, or is, someone has yeah. the power or somehow Yeah, it's but they equal. do let it out, and they do have a way of going through that. And I really admire that. And and if you're going to be in a relationship with somebody, you can't fight to win. I mean, some of those fights are they're wonderful to recount, and I have incredible stories. <laughs> and I actually thought of, at one point, writing an entire book, which I might someday just about fighting and fights between men and women because I find them so hilarious when you recount them especially the really really painful ones where you know someone's like standing on a dock and the other person is inside and the entire (laughs) resort hears and you know 30 minutes later you're in the restaurant with your arms around each other and licking each other's faces and everything is awesome and people are staring and you know it just like it there's something that gets unleashed between men and women in particular and you know, in romantic relationships in general, not, you know, same yeah, sex yeah. as well. But I think it's something to do with men and women especially that at times where this is just so incendiary, like the the fighting is so, and when you're younger, it's so glorious. It's hilarious. Uh, but ultimately, you can't really live with someone that way. Yeah, you have to know. Like, you have to be on the same side at a certain point. Not that you can't have a day when it's like, you know, your turn to win. And sometimes you are right, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think you have to be, it's like, I really, really hate uh, if somebody's arguing with me, especially in a relationship, like sarcasm, because it just shuts everything down. Yeah. You know? Well, it's like, it's I mean, I'm sure, you know, in acting, not, I don't know too much about the process, but... I feel like sarcasm is one of those things that just shuts everything. It like does. you said, it just shuts it down. It's like you're playing me now and yeah. Where do we go from here? Like what that just proves that the character's a dick. You exactly. Know? Like exactly. If you don't see underneath the, that some if there's no velocity underneath that, if there's no movement towards something else, if it isn't a way to get to somewhere mm. else, you know, if it's if it's totally insular sarcasm, there's nothing shuts things down more like that I don't think so and I think it's so ugly too I think I did it a lot when I was younger I think we all do you know and then you kind of grow out of it and then when you see it in people and you think oh I used to be like that but I'm I made a choice not to be anymore yeah I mean I think sarcasm has its place certainly and especially you know irony you know if if with other people uh, and it, obviously it's great foil, you know, and in humor, but it, it isn't with other people in a relationship. Like when you're trying to get through something, I think it's just like tiring. It's just a massive speed bump, you know? Yeah. You, yeah. Someone make, trying to make you feel like an idiot. Yeah. And trying to avoid those yeah. types. And then it's like, okay, now I'm going to make you feel like an idiot. And it's We're just, done. you know, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me, I mean, not kind of, so specifically but with your mentor or the piece in the book about your mentor the director Mm -hmm. something that I just you know and you're reading a book and you're like highlight scribble it (sighs) do I you know email it to all my friends that um can you talk a bit about how you were struggling with 
this apart, a particular yeah. part, and what I don't want to say it in your words because I'll kind of ruin it, but it was a revelation that I will take with me from this book, just moving forward. Yeah, it really changed my life, and it really changed the way I looked at acting. And for a certain time, there was a certain time when I'd just gotten out of school, and I was sort of lost in knowing how to, like, what my process actually was. And uh, I was somewhere in between instinct and process, you know, which there needs to be a marriage of the two at a certain point, you know. And I didn't really know how to do that. And... uh, I had certain tools, but I just didn't know how to integrate things. Mm. And I met this man who was my mentor, who was so brilliant, one of my mentors. And he was able to give me a sort of framework for just how to look at things in on a broad level so that it wasn't me in a fight with myself to try to recreate something. And it all relates to life. It's like when we try to recreate a great moment, and it's like, you got to be in this one. Yeah. And, you know, if you're, it, you just have to be able to sit inside of this one. And if you're not listening to somebody else, then you're not here. You know, if I'm in last week's interview yeah, yeah. and saying what I said then, yeah, then or I'm if I'm miss out on trying you. to be clever, you know, and well, it's like, oh, I God, know, then, then I'm going to miss out on, on you. Yeah. And it, it's like, he, he showed me how to, uh, just the beginnings of how to do that, which is, you know, your life's work as a person and as an actor to just be there in that second. Mm-hmm. And it's what's most profound, especially when you're, and I'm so tough on other actors and myself. I'm most tough on myself, but when I see people and I feel like they're giving last night's show or they're acting for the audience and they're not really there with the other actor, it just, you know, I'm an enormously harsh critic of that. And, he it's because he instilled in me this just a way of approaching it that it's just about um being able to sit in this moment and being able to be with what's in front of you and it might not be what you ordered or what you wanted but it's what you've got yeah and it could lead to something amazing um but it's if if you're leading towards last night what do you ever, there's nothing revelatory in that. There's nothing, there's no freedom in that. There's no transcendence in that whatsoever. Um, well, not, especially if you're yeah. trying, it's like you're trying to impress. Yeah. You're trying to impress the other person. You're trying to impress the audience. And you're not telling the story. And when it, things are aligned and when somebody's really with you, I worked with this actor, David Morse, and I feel like that relationship was as intimate as any relationship I've ever had in my life and we were so with one another um and so deeply rooted I feel like there were just moments I, I haven't been that present in my life as I was with him in that part and that's just massive and the audience always feels it mm. they always feel it and it's re- it's hard to do it takes a lot of energy and, you know, I'm always beating myself up if I don't feel like I got there, did it well enough. But it has to be the goal. It has to be the goal. There's no point in walking out on stage. And, yes, there is a map. And, yes, there are things to hit. And, yes, there are things they need to hear and things that have to occur. And But that has to be the goal. Well, it's like you have this structure and you just get to, I mean, be within it and see what happens. I yeah. guess I was thinking when I read that about forget about what happened last time and I was thinking about that just in romantic relationships and I thought like I'm diving into one and it's been so long and it feels like so frightening yeah and it's like how I have to forget about the other I know it's cracked up bad things because it's not who this person is who knows I mean right but trying to let that go is you know, I thought I also had this moment where I was like, I thought I was like cool at this now. Like right, I thought I was right. good at it. And as soon I don't mean cool in the like being cool, right. just like I thought I was a bit better at like letting things go and not letting things phase me. And then now I'm realizing I'm not. I'm terrible at it. I don't know how to do it. But I care so much I wanna try. But having to just not let the past 
really right. fuck it, fuck up. The, what is the moment? Right. And you won't know. Like you can't tell the future. There's no way. So no all you have what, is the moment. You know, isn't no it? matter what you think you know, you never know. Yeah. I'm here to tell you, you do not. You do not. <laughs> and that's an enormous gift, too. Because who would even go forward if they did? I know. And yeah. there's great surprise out there as well. You know, I had a friend who's very down right now, and I said, listen, like, if you tried, if we tried super hard and we brought in life coaches to try to make you feel this shitty for the next five years or for the next, like, five weeks, you couldn't. Yeah. Like, it will change. You just have to know that it's going to change. Mm. You can't assume that you know what it's going to be. It's always going to change. And they, the other person doesn't know. And then there's a third thing, which is the relationship, which is the two people. You know, that's the thing that you are responsible for. That's, like, the bank that you are. Yeah. Like, you know. I mean, do you ever get exhausted by being so connected in moments? I mean, I'm sure on stage that it, it, the when it's happening and you say it's so clear, it's I'm imagining that it doesn't – you feel weightless almost. Yeah. Like you're very unaware of it. But I'm wondering – when you're trying to be present in life and, you know, with kids and with, like, friends, you have do you have to concentrate to be present? And then is it That's very why I can't tiring? drive a car, I think. Okay. That's why, <laughs> okay, like, good. I leave the mail in the fridge, you know? It's, like, there are certain ways in which I am going to be so with you that I am of you. And there are other ways... You know, I can't I can't make small talk without getting sort of physically ill. And mm-hmm. it's not because I'm deeper. And it's not because I'm more awesome or smarter or better. It's just the way that I am built. You know, I'm equally shallow as the next person and can be more so. But there are just – it's just ways in which we communicate, which I find really, really interesting. And I'm really, really interested in communicating as honestly as I can – in the moment, because otherwise I'm 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 putting on a show, and I'm always questioning myself, you know, and I'm always doing that on stage too, like not on stage, but it, it, I I am I do police that I do try for some kind of truth, and I have been accused of being like too blunt or too like yeah, but I guess that's or it. You can't whatever, be everything. But, um, uh, I I do love. The idea of having like some kind of fresh communication with somebody that's like sprung and real, mm, uh, and I'm not a. I would make the world's worst politician <laughs> because you couldn't lie. Well, I just, yeah, yeah, I just wouldn't be good at that. Well, and I don't. I don't do we well need that right at the now. Things that go with that, and that's, you know, I have to work at that. I have to work at that because you have to. I have to live. You know, we have to live yeah, with other people, world. and um, yeah, I'm. I'm hard on myself, but now I'm trying to not be hard on myself for being so hard on myself. <laughs> like, it's a loop. Some some of that is good. Yeah, you know. I mean, one of the. I, I mean, I keep saying that every entry was so powerful, and it, everyone will just have to read the book because they just are. But the one about your doctor, I had no idea that you had had, oh, you yeah. had actually died. Well, you know, part of it, a lot of people have said to me, even my friends too, that they didn't know quite how sick I was. Uh, and part of that is because of him, because he was really uh, intense in that hospital and literally kicked people out if he saw them on their phone or, uh, I mean, despite, you know, I mean, aside from him being also the most incredibly brilliant doctor, who is some form of an artist now, I understand. Uh, he really protected me, and uh, and is just, it comes down to, he's incredibly present and humane and amazing people skills, which I so admire, you know, and I'd love to, I'd love to have some of that. Yeah. And... 
really, mm. really kind. And, and you know, I didn't want to bother people in the night. And it's like I had both of my kids were asleep in bed, and I didn't know who to call, really. And I, I was, you know, getting sicker and sicker, and I was started to get really confused. And I remember at one point thinking, well, even if I call someone and they take me to the hospital, who's going to stay with the kids? And I just got in this weird loop, and then I got really confused, and I tried to call a couple of people who didn't answer. And uh, and I randomly texted one of my best friends in California, which I don't remember at all, and said, pray for me. Don't remember. She showed it to me on her phone, and it wasn't even spelled right, which is kind of hard to mess up those three words, <laughs> but I couldn't, like, I was really aware that, I was, that it was that, that it was terminal. Super and it happened. Grave. So you were, you, you'd not felt well, kind of yourself for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And, and I went to the just... doctor, put me on antibiotics, and that didn't do anything. And I was uh, supposed to be in a project, and I went to rehearsal, and I'm never someone who goes home sick. I'm just not. Never. And I said, I have to leave right now. And I stood up, and I said, I have to go home. And so interesting to me because if you'd seen me out walking my kids to school that morning you would have thought I was fine you know um but it happens so quickly and it you're so aware of how quickly you can go you can be and you're aware of that when you lose someone right it's it's so massively rearranging that they were just here it doesn't make any sense like their things are still here they're that they're almost they're their energy is still like clinging to the walls to me and it just feels weird when someone's taken away and when you almost die you really it's it sounds it is so cliche but you realize that's how quickly it happens and um you don't get a warning and coming back into that I mean, it, it's like you could hear the voices around you. And I remember, and I was started, I was speaking in gibberish. You know, I was yeah. like uh, at a certain point, and I remember that, and I remember everyone's face, you know, and I don't remember being taken back to the ICU after I went into shock. I don't remember a lot of that. I remember someone saying that my, my friend was, she flew from, she left both her kids and flew to be, um, to help me, and... Uh, it was like it just happened so fast I mean I how it's I'm gonna now I'm gonna ask this like weird cliche question but is there a before and after that experience in terms of how you live your life well it, of course you know for the first week after the first few days I'm never gonna be unkind again <laughs> I'm gonna appreciate everything and uh but still, to this day, I am so grateful for having had that experience. And it was just incredible just to even, for what I was conscious, for what part of it I was conscious, to be able to watch people trying to save someone and keep them alive. Because I remember the set of their faces and their eyes when they looked at me. It was so interesting. And uh, the way people were so kind and the, the way they behaved and just the people who came to see me, like my friend who my friend Dominique, who I didn't even know that well at that point, came to the hospital twice, and I'll never forget that as long as I live. And um, it's just people, you know, who showed up and were, they cared so much, and it it was really humbling. And, you know, of course, my children, um, it's like, I couldn't, it was my daughter's face, you know, staring at me like I'm not losing another mother. Because my daughter's adopted, and uh, my son went over to comfort her, and it, that moment, so moving and so hard, and hard to summon and look at, but also, in some ways, makes me not afraid to die, right? Because his instinct was to take care of her, and their instinct was and to move together. Yeah. And usually they're all mommy, mommy. You know, kids are always they always want you, or they're hitting each other, or everything's a nightmare, but. Yeah in that moment they went together and now I have that so if if I am going to die again I'm going to remember that and feel like I'm going to be they're going to be okay as long as that's Mm. the when your children are happy with each other there's nothing on earth better than if one of them they they 
hugged one another yesterday like just because it, nothing makes me happier than it's that. like some it's like a narcotic it literally it makes everything okay it makes everything all right they like each other oh my god thank you uh, you know yeah i just want them to call each other when they're sad when they're lonely when i want them to talk to each other and i want them to have each other and have a very unusual history and my daughter and where she comes from and my son and I going back with her to Africa this summer and it's they have a very wonderful yeah. rich history together and and I love that they have each other um so oh did you go back all three of you this we summer did. We're, and my daughter and I are going to go again so uh we're trying to go again either this hopefully this year if not than the next year mm. but it's a lot of moving parts with kids to get you know the time trip. off yeah but um yeah because yeah. I mean I think at some point I would love to have a baby so but I felt there was a, a part of your book that felt dangerous in the best way the fact that you were able to say kind of at, at this point in time, the way we all talk about feminism and mm -hmm. all this stuff, mm -hmm. that you were a little girl who, mm -hmm. who wanted a baby. Mm -hmm. And I found that so powerful to claim that and say it out loud because I think sometimes I don't, you know, I want, I mean, for myself, I'm like, am I allowed to say it's that? It's so interesting that you say that because I, I do remember that feeling and I saw it in you just then. Like saying it aloud, there was almost like some kind of like, uh, almost like asking for permission. Permi but yeah, but or from who? I, I don't know. But I remember that sensation before I'd had children, and I just saw it in you. And I, I don't know what that is. It's almost, I don't, I'm not sure what that is, but uh, I, I do remember that feeling. And, and now I can say, you know, I wanted a baby my entire, since I could hold a doll. And I wanted also to adopt a baby since I knew what that was and mm. that that was possible. And there are times when people have said, oh, so they, they make it sound like it was a second choice or it was, and it's like, no, 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 that was the first choice mm -hmm. when having my second child. That, that wasn't like, I have no other options. Right. That was like, this is what I want. And she knows that. And she knows that I mean it. And it's, it's uh, really fortifying for her that that was my dream as, as well, to adopt a baby. Yeah. Um, it's not like she was, that was the second choice. That was, you know, it's, I wish more people would do it because it's, it's as, you know, in some ways more profound than a, uh, that experience of, of giving birth uh, because a lot of times people aren't even entirely conscious for it. I was lucky enough to have a really amazing birth experience and it was incredible, but... Uh, you know, there's nothing like kneeling down in front of a child that you're about to, you know, pledge to be, you know, your devotion for and to, to take them. Well, especially in front of their family. Yeah. I mean, you spoke and spent time with um, your daughter's uncle. And I can't believe you, you had the balls to ask the most beautiful question of him. And that was, you know, what... What do you hope for her? R correct me if I'm right, butchering right. it. Um, you know, what's your greatest hope for her and mm -hmm. what's your greatest fear? And can you talk about that and yeah, what he told I think it was, you? What was great about yeah. that more than anything was my being able to articulate it so that I was able to think in terms of um, what, what might be the greatest. Uh, life someone could imagine for her uh, and also what I might imagine for her and hope for her and what I want her to be able to imagine for herself which is what matters most of all mm. um, because it's a you know obviously it's a very different world and uh, she is you know a marriage of of a lot of different worlds and a lot of different people and she the, all of that collides in her and is part of what makes her so special, but I just know that she would be anyway. Yeah. I, she's 
so she's such a bright spirit and um sometimes I do look at her and it's just miraculous to me that uh this other path was set up for her and then she ended up going this way she might not have for a number of different reasons and uh I so honor the woman that gave birth to her. I so, you know, as a sister, as her mother as well, equally mm. her mother as me, if not more, but in a different way. And I just feel that she she would have been, there's no way she wouldn't be my daughter. I can't imagine my life her with her not my daughter. That that that's not a, a a picture I can bring into focus. Clearly, it yeah. just stays blurry. It, I can't even, I can't pull that one out of the air. It's not even yeah. an idea. I mean, isn't it amazing? Just what we were talking about before this idea of letting go of the past but having to be in the moment because you have this beautiful girl, and if all those crazy relationships hadn't happened mm, or mm-hmm. not life could be different if it hadn't happened in exactly the way that they yeah. did and she's the reminder of that she's the thing that I have to go back to uh, more than anything and there's, there is no possible life with me that does not involve her that doesn't, yeah. doesn't uh, and, and I, I think it was very enormously hard for me to have two children alone for a very very long time and it's still really complicated um arduous at times but uh I don't think I managed it very well in the beginning at all I managed really well an infant my son I was very good at that having two children was massively disorienting for me and I don't think I was I wouldn't have given myself any awards honestly and I feel like she's shown me how to do that and she's given me a million chances and and I've risen to her mm-hmm. uh, she was a lot to live up to and that she gave me that opportunity that I would not have had yeah if she were someone else I think yeah this is what your book does it just layers on I can't believe you're so willing and to share them all so honestly because as this collection I just closed it and I wanted every man and but particularly my female friends to read it because I've just been to LA for a week and you know when you you see all your friends like it was like boom 10 o'clock coffee you know lunch dinner and I think I'm pretty good at right now I'm like finally like oh it's been like holding on for you know by the fingernails but things are good And then I kind of came to my friends being like, you know, feeling ready to have a great time and a catch up and a glass of wine. And then some of them, you know, are going through it. And it's just interesting, like when, like you're talking about, like just turning up and being present for them. Like we're all at this point in our lives where like relationships are disintegrating you know, there are children involved. Yeah. It's all. I was just so reminded of how complicated it's going to mm. get from here on, mm-hmm. and it's like welcome to like welcome to being welcome to finally like getting what this life is really about. And yeah, but, you and can't it ha- predict. Yeah, I've become a little bit obsessed with. I've become inordinately obsessed with Joseph Brodsky at the moment and I've been reading a lot of uh, his essays and his poems and uh, he, he did one commencement he did a couple of commencement speeches as I understand at the University of Michigan but there was one where he listed these six points to live by right and uh, one of them I thought was so brilliant was he talks about be careful of your index finger because laying blame is the way to misery and not about not being a victim, about turning the other cheek. But he articulates it in such a way that's so complicated and also in some ways just completely uh, transparent. Um, 
And he ta- he says some things that are rather, I think, almost subversive for a man to say. He says, don't, basically he he's talks about, don't covet your neighbor's wife. And he talks about, uh, you know, it, like how deception and how uh, when we deceive ourselves and how uh, we see ourselves within that deception, how we justify deceiving other people, how we justify like taking something that we want because we think mm-hmm. we deserve it or because this person doesn't really want it or whatever. Um, it's really, really interesting. And he, he talks about, um, he says, originality is the only antidote to uh, evil and being true to yourself, to, to, to your eccentricities and to what's original about you is the way to, uh, the only real way to fight evil, that and rising above it and not giving, not fanning the mm-hmm. flames. Um, and he's somebody who was, you know, sent in exile from his homeland and was uh, put on a plane with a suit of clothes and two bottles of vodka and an extra set of underwear. Didn't know where he was going. Didn't know what he was going to do. Knew he was a poet. And he, you know, had worked in a prison camp in a labor yard and came out with, like this attachment to the very basic things of don't get stuck in feeling like all the bad things are happening to you and that's why you get to do mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. Don't uh, justify, you know, deceiving other people and don't blame other people for your unhappiness. All these really simple so things from this person who'd suffered so much. Um but it reminds me. I don't even know yeah. what the end of that, what my punctuation to that <laughs> no, is. No, I love it. It's just what you were talking about, talked about how um, it does get so complicated and and that, like, somewhere within, for me, and he feels this way as well, that, that poetry is our, our more, it's an imperative. It's a social obligation. He said he calls it an anthropological, like, um, like uh, imperative to to understand the written word and to communicate the written word because that's what makes us different from animals and uh, the way that we communicate is incredibly important and like how truthfully we communicate and uh, and there's something about that that resonated with me with this book because I got to be the architect of what it was and if I'm putting my thoughts in your head I don't want them to be about how much men suck and how much that's not the book I wanted no. to write. I have a son who's going to be a man. And I've men have been heroic to me in my life. I've known remarkable men who've taught me so many things and you know even the ones that mistreated me that who knows why I that happened and that's a bigger conversation that I have with myself but you know that was an informative experience and like I wanted this to be positive, this book, and I wanted this to be like honest in the places where I need it to be searingly honest and um, exposing of myself and truthful, and I needed to obfuscate the things that I needed to obfuscate. That was my choice, and I got to pick, mm-hmm. and I got to say something positive that was about, you know, love, Absolutely. and that's pretty subversive. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's the most... Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's not that hip. It's not that well, hip to talk about God and no, love. No, but that's like why I love it. It's not <laughs> how men are awesome. And, no, it's because um, there's of course there's a flip side to all of that. And I'm you know I, my biggest downfall as a person is how negative I can be, and this was a meditation in like the positive. So, I mean, it reminded me of all the possibilities we have with men and the types of relationships we can have with them because sometimes I think it's all whittled down into friends, husband, boyfriend, Mm -hmm. father. Mm -hmm. Like there are all these um, kind of constraints on Mm -hmm. what the outside decides the relationships that men and women can Mm -hmm. have. And I've always thought that was bullshit. Like you can have, you know, I have a few unconventional friendships, like whatever that form takes. I don't really care what other people from the outside think. 
Um, and I just loved the conversation you had with your friend's husband on the phone late at night, kind of at one of your darkest, the dark yeah. moment, and that you could have this beautiful friendship that included her, but yeah. that you were able to have this together. Yeah, and he's kind of, he's heroic to me, that guy. He's like so, uh, he's so well examined and he's somebody who could so easily say, I, you know, this happened to me and this happened to me and life wasn't fair. And so I'm gonna treat, it's just he went, what's wrong with me? What can I do to help? How can I be better? And I just, he's taught me so much. I admire that so much. I love, anyone. yeah, and how you said, you know, like um, anyone, uh, you know, a fucked up childhood can be yeah. someone's excuse their whole lives. And I think I'm just finding the people I'm gravitating to more and more, like they may have had all these things happen to them, but at this point, like it's 35-year-olds, it's like, right. come on, guys. Like either yeah. what are you going to do with it, you know? So what now? Yeah, there's got to be Who do you some kind of accountability. Yeah. In the end, there's just it can't be about how. I say that in the piece about my daughter, you know, for the man who one day, you know, is not good to her, uh, I think it says um, – uh, you may have had, what did I say? You may have oh. had a horrible childhood, but please allow me to introduce myself. Hello, I am the woman who doesn't give a shit. I love that. And I do not. Completely. I don't care, because you want a bad childhood? Like, I, I can show you five that suck way worse. Mm-hmm. Way worse. My friend who was, you know, abducted on the way home from school, and somebody put a rifle in his hand. Why don't you talk to him? about how he spends his life, like, just trying to make things better for other people. Yeah, and I don't, that one doesn't, that one doesn't yeah. hold for me. Yeah. Well, and just that, that idea of in those moments trying to think, you know, when you're so depressed, really, well, I've been there, what can I do for someone else then? And, like, that is kind of the little rope up. Like, what could oh, I go and... it always and, is, yeah. Well, and I'm sure it's it's kind of what we've been talking about I know we have to wrap up soon. That kind of whole hour is when you make it about someone else, you kind of, you free up. You don't even, you think that you don't, you, we think that we're worried about ourselves or like that that's the important because we hold on. But when we give it up, it's kind of. Yeah. And I hate that about myself. And I've actually been reexamining it a lot lately, like how negative I can be and how I get in this loop of like, almost like raising a case against like why I deserve to be unhappy about this or why this of course should make me feel disappointed and this isn't good enough you know uh, I hate that about myself and I'm having to look at it in a different way and see exactly what am I doing that leads me to that and uh, I have to start with well actually it's my trying to understand sometimes why I just wake up feeling sad sometimes so I try to like rationalize well because this and this and this and this and it leads me to start you know feeling sorry for myself I have no business feeling sorry for myself right and I understand that yeah but uh, cognitively but, is different than how you I know because viscerally you know some you just wake up unhappy and it's just being able to see if we get into patterns and we have a script written for ourselves, and we just start playing it you know playing it over yeah. and over and over again. And, and I guess we can change that any day, can't we? Like that we can script, change a little bit of it. you can change it a bit today and then like no, yeah. I love just what you said and then we'll we'll finish. Just this idea of like who says, like who is who are the rules set by um I mean there are laws fine, but I, yeah, just saying, like, just not trying to conform yeah. so much to these invisible ideas of what we should and shouldn't be. Yeah, and what's, I mean, like I, I keep saying, like, in many ways my book is like decidedly unhip in some ways. And I talk about it, just 
you know, the, some people who in my life maybe wouldn't be cel celebrated or something or you wouldn't expect to be in, that I would write about, but like this priest that I grew up with changed the way I looked at the world entirely just by the way he considered me when I was nine years old when I asked him a question. And, um, and those kind of things I think about and, and I, it's all a conversation, all of it that we're still having, like, what is this? Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? I don't know. You it know, all seems I want ridiculous. It, I, want it, I want there to be something on the other side, and I want there to be, uh, and I also want to not want that sometimes, and I want to just be able to be here, but uh, those kind of things I can pick apart and talk about forever. Um, and I, I sometimes don't understand how we aren't all talking about it all the time. Why aren't we talking about it right now? Like, why, aren't, why isn't everyone on the street turning to each other going, can you believe we're alive? Why are we even doing this? Why are you wearing those things on your feet? Why do you have feet? The whole thing is just, you know, this existential uh, madness. It's just, I, I can't believe that we just kind of get up and have lives and have children and keep going and then die. It's just... It's uh, something to marvel at mm -hmm. and constantly uh, be aware of how uh, it's an opportunity and um, and even fucking it up is an opportunity. Even, you know, blowing it and and uh, failing, it's, it's all part of something we get to do ultimately until we don't. Well, and that's why... I think we're just so lucky to have artists like you, you know, who do do the work to bring it to us. Like writing this book must have been such hard work. Well, you know, it was in some sense, and I do labor over every word, but I have to say sitting here, like, you understood it so well, and I, I keep being blown away that every time you say, well, when you said this, I can't, I'm thinking to myself, like, I can't believe she remembers all this because I've talked to so many people in That's the past. That's because it's so specific. However many months, and, the, and they'll say did you ever think about this? And I'll say, well, yeah, I talk about it for maybe 30 pages in that book you're holding, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think it's, for me, it's so worth it. Yeah, we do have to have artists, but we, just equally so, we have to have you because I have to, if without you, there's, it's a vacuum and for you to read it and then, then something happens between us without even knowing one yeah, another. That's and that's, like, I have to have someone like you I have to know that some people like yeah you or Vincent Scarpa or the people who really have sat and read it and care the you know the way that when I read poetry or books or or listen to music because um, that's when we're kind of dwelling in that mm. place of like oh my god we're alive I can't believe we're alive too it's you such know, a so precious <laughs> place isn't it yeah and we've yeah. just dipped in yeah well yeah. I I don't even care if I'm going to geek out on the fact that like, you know we're alive and how. It's like I can't I can't believe that we don't do it all day long. Sometimes and yes, we do have to get through and there's like the dry cleaner and like you know. But it's pretty. It's pretty profound that uh, that anything gets done and that there is beauty at all, you know. Yeah, that's why we, I mean, we have to just see the beauty. I was, I, we really have to stop because I know um, you have so many things to do, but just the way you talked about how your No, are son, you kidding? I could literally oh, sit here and talk okay. to you forever. <laughs> but how you're, uh, but, I'm, but the I'm one last so happy to talk bit. to somebody no, who even so cares great. about things I want to talk about. But I kind of forgot that people are listening somewhere, or maybe they're yeah, not listening. I, I kind of tell do. myself, nobody's going to no listen anyway. Nobody's going to hear this. They will, but just the, 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 your book did remind me to marvel at the beauty of things and the way your son has that specific ability to kind of revel in, I don't know, it seems like the very like small things reminded me of that. Yeah, it's that, that emphatic, you know, and that celebration and that like ecstasy, like everything is, oh, I God, this is the best this, or can you believe that, you know, and that love of, like, theater and music and things like that. And at the same time, you know, he is very much like me. It's like, 
can you be any darker? Can you literally, <laughs> you know, how do you? And then I see myself at that age, and that's the same. It's that, um, what they call it in Italian, chiaroscura, I think, right? Is the, it's probably not how you say it at all, but I it's think. like the, the light and dark and the... Mm-hmm you know, the way one reflects the other and is one a shadow of the other or is one in front of the other. It's, you know, uh, but I, I, I don't, there's not a whole lot of gray to me. And my son is like that too, but it allows you to, you it allows for the ecstatic and the rapturous and the, you know, like to marvel and, you know, for romance. And I'm such a romantic uh, but it sometimes leads to, you know, dwelling in the miasma and the, like, s- sorrow. And um, that's why I, I have my daughter who is, like, such levity and just, you know, like, can just completely level me with her, you know, uh, her latest, like, profound thought about... Um, why lightsabers are so dangerous and like why Luke blah 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 I don't know whatever <laughs> like her latest Star Wars uh, sort of profound theory um, and or or just you, you know what I think is kind of weird mom and I love that she starts sentences like that she was with me or my son is like I can't believe that this you know <laughs> my daughter's like you know what I think is kind of odd there's like such relief in that. Just the, I mean, and I, I, we should finish. So I just want to say thank you, but also just what you've said, how um, there's room for it all, isn't there? Like there's room. I just the beauty and the sadness and the peep, the people who are calmly observing, and then the ones who love everything. And I just. Yeah, I, I mean, I really feel it was all in here, and it's all in your other acting work. And I'm thank you so thank much you. for being so thank you. open and willing to talk about no, this. No, it was absolutely my honor and pleasure. That's great. Oh, oh my God, I guess we've read a press stop. <laughs> <laughs> For more about this interview and about Lit Up in general, visit us at thelitupshow.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LitUpShow. And of course, please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.